For those of you who don't know me, I'm Pastor Daryl, and I have the pleasure of serving with David and Faith and others. And um, this morning, uh, I said this morning, I don't know how many times. You know, it's evening. This evening, we are um, having our first scripture from the book of Isaiah, chapter 9, beginning with verse 2. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as men rejoice when dividing plunder. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness. From that time on and forever, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This particular passage is meant to bring hope. Originally, it was written by Isaiah because Israel was beset by enemies all around it. And they were being attacked. And they wondered, should we we align ourselves? Should we align ourselves with the Babylonians or the Assyrians or the Egyptians? And God said, no. God doesn't want them to be aligned with pagans. Rather, he wants them to have hope in the future when a son shall come. He asks them to wait for the joy that will come in the birth of the Savior. Jesus is the divine fulfillment of that son waiting to come. Now, Jesus could have come fully grown, but instead he comes as a helpless babe. He shows his true humanity because he starts out Like each one of us, we all started as helpless babes and were surrounded by the love of our parents, just as Mary and Joseph surrounded Jesus. And as the people were walking in darkness, there's still darkness in our world. We're sometimes puzzled by that. There's even darkness within each one of us. And we try to illuminate it, but we don't always succeed. But this passage brings us a message of hope, hope for today, because a light is coming and has come in the form of Jesus Christ. For a child is born, a son is given, and the promise is that the government will be on his shoulders. He will be the one who carries the weight of the world. And then he's given various names. He's called Wonderful Counselor because Even the shepherds were filled with wonder at the manger as they thought about him. He's a counselor because he comes to comfort us, to help us in our perplexity, to guide us, to direct us, to challenge us. He's called Mighty God because he is the God who reigns over heaven and earth. And yet, he's willing to lay all that aside and come to us. And he's called Everlasting Father because he is the source of all eternity and Prince of Peace. He comes to make peace between God and humans. 
but also to make peace between humans all over the world, between each one of us, wherever we might be. John Calvin said, when it appears to us that everything is in a ruinous condition, let us recall that Christ has inconceivable methods of assisting us, and his power is far, 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 far beyond what we can ever imagine or conceive. We can come to Jesus as we might come to a father whenever we are tossed and turned by various tempests. We need to remember Christ is our Prince of Peace. Amen. Well, I hate to disappoint, but you will not be getting up anytime soon. So relax. Good evening. I think it's evening now. Uh, I think I can finally say this. Merry Christmas. You're probably thinking, who the heck is this lady? I may be a new face to some of you. My name is Faith Shearholt, and I am the Director of Youth Ministry and Mission here at Westminster Prez. And it is a joy to be preaching tonight, just briefly, whether this is your first time with us or your millionth Christmas Eve service with us. We are so excited that you chose to be here and to join in the chaos and wonders of this night. This is a special season for us all. Time with family, yummy treats, gift giving, Christmas trees and Christmas lights, ornaments. The Christmas season brings magic and light to us all. This year has been especially wondrous for me and my family because I am currently 29 weeks pregnant with my first baby. Don't worry, I'm due in March, so there will not be a live baby here anytime soon. Um, It has been such a gift to be pregnant for the first time, especially during this part of the year. It's been especially magical. I love hearing all the heartbeats and the ultrasounds and things like that and feeling my baby kick and roll all over the place even while I'm sleeping. I love the feeling of when my little one starts dancing to Christmas music and to Elton John's Crocodile Rock. I don't know. That's a favorite right now. Since this is my first baby, my husband and I's first baby together, um, we've been crossing things off excitedly and nervously off our list and checking that list twice and learning as much as we can about what the heck have we done with our lives. But of all the items I'm looking forward to and the most intrigued that I am is swaddling cloths, baby blankets. Folks, swaddling is some serious business. It is not to be messed with. Nowadays, there's all kinds of swaddling cloths. Some have zippers. Some have Velcro sides. Some are organic cotton. Some are made with sheep that are far from Australia. It's intense. It's very intense. And there's a lot of videos out there. If you're on social media like me, you can find labor and delivery nurses teaching new moms and dads how to properly swaddle their newborn baby. And I said, properly swaddle. There is a right way and a wrong way. The right way ensures that the baby is kept warm and safe. The proper swaddle provides a sense of security a womb-like feeling to a little one who has just entered into a world of unknowns. Proper swaddling communicates to a precious little one that they are safe and cared for. It is a tangible sense of care and support and affection. A swaddling blanket may be 
something that we just overlook. Maybe it's not something we think about when we read the Christmas story. But it is in the Christmas story, and it's a very important and often overlooked item of the story. So the story of Luke 2, verses 1 through 7, will be on the screen or in your Bibles, and I invite you to listen in or to read along with me. So it will be on the screen. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time for the baby came to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, firstborn a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So this Advent season here at Westminster, we've been going through a book by Jill Duffield, and it's called Advent in Plain Sight. And Jill encourages us to look at a variety of ordinary items that we don't normally associate with the Advent season. These items include gates, tears, belts, trees, and now she comes to the item of swaddling cloths. Some of us may know this story well. We know that Mary and Joseph were expected, if not demanded, to go and complete a registration for a census report. Their registration led them to Bethlehem, to a small town in Judea, which was easily over 90 miles by foot. Y'all being 90, or 90 miles and nine months pregnant? Wow. The text reminds us that Mary and Joseph and thousands of other travelers had to make their way to the places and spaces that their ancestors were from. And for Joseph and his family, that meant going uphill to Bethlehem because it was on a mountain near Jerusalem because he was part of King David's home and lineage. So there's a lot of expectation building. There's a lot of hope and a lot of fears building upon this. A government census and a brand new baby. And with expectation comes preparation, or at least in my household it does. Imagine what things Mary and Joseph had to bring with them. Just imagine with me. They would probably need documents of some sort, maybe. Maybe some money, some currency to pay for things and things like that to get food. I can only imagine how long that grocery list was. But we're only told of one item, a swaddling blanket. Mary, as a young girl herself, probably in her late teens, knew that out of all the things she needed, she needed a swaddling blanket for her newborn. When she, where she got this blanket, we don't know. The text doesn't say. Some biblical scholars suggest that swaddling blankets were actually passed down from woman to woman, from mother to mother, so giving that sense of lineage as well. Mary probably or maybe received it from new in-laws to her or maybe from Elizabeth who had her own newborn just a few months before with John the Baptist. The word here 
okay, we're going to go into Greek, y'all. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. It's spargano. Can you say that? Spargano. You're Greek scholars now. You're all done. You don't need to go to seminary. So it's not translated into tattered rags. It's actually a verb or an action word. If some of you are in school, it's an action word. You do something. And it's better translated to mean to wrap in pieces of cloth. And these pieces of cloth would have been soft and warm and easy to wrap a newborn in. This may differ from the normal image that we see when we think of a nativity set. Oftentimes we see Jesus not swaddled. Uh, So this image is probably what we think of. A little infant Jesus not swaddled. You can thank St. Bridget of Sweden for that. That's a different topic. We can go into that later. Unlike this image, though we are thankful for it, swaddling would have been more like the next two. Oh, this is a family that swaddles together, stays together. We're not talking about this. We're all swaddled in there. I'm thinking more of this. Swaddling was such a normal, ordinary practice that would have been strange to see an unswaddled infant, especially on a cold night in the winter. That would have been very weird. It would have communicated that a baby wasn't cared for if it wasn't being swaddled. A lot of things fascinate me about Mary's act of swaddling her newborn Jesus. But it's not the blanket. It's not the cloths that get my attention. It's her love for Jesus and her faithfulness to the normalcy, to the ordinary act. I don't know how much practice she had on swaddling a newborn. I don't know if she's been around other babies before. Maybe she practiced on John the Baptist. I don't know. But nevertheless, she surrounds Jesus in love and provides a sense of security to this newborn king who was new to the world he created from the very beginning. But the thing that captures my heart the most of this story is that this image of our Lord and Creator being wrapped carefully in cloths. Think about it. A newborn, Jesus, that our Lord and Savior comes not just as a human, but comes as a little baby. It's amazing, not as a full-grown man, but as a helpless baby who needed to be kept warm and secure. And that's what he was. He was nestled in bands of cloth that just said to him, I love you, Lord, and I will care for you. That's amazing. The ordinary becomes extraordinary. The newborn swaddled was nothing new. That was an ordinary picture. Even shepherds who joined in the delivery room later knew what to expect. They were told by the angel that they would find a baby swaddled laying in a manger. And yet this was nothing but extraordinary. This baby swaddled in love would show them that God was not distant. God was not callous. But God was there. God was Emmanuel, nurtured and swaddled. God was love and was loved. Let me say that one more time. God was loved and God is love. A swaddled newborn shows us 
even in today's society, that the intimacy of God's presence is ever so close to us. God is not just sitting on a throne, sitting distant. He's not sitting in a sanctuary, but he's swaddled in a manger. God is not callous. He is not cold to human emotion, but he received human love and gave love to humans. This Christmas is very special for all kinds of reasons. We have all kinds of reasons to be celebrating. But I hope that this year we're reminded that we too are swaddled in love. That God, our Emmanuel, shows us that we are held in love. That we are not abandoned, left out to fend for ourselves and to care for our own needs while we're helpless. We're not left out in the cold to freeze and to face the cold realities of life alone. But we're held in love like the newborn Jesus. And we are securely wrapped in God's care always. As we celebrate Christmas with our families and our friends and our children and our growing children, may may we receive the love that God gives. And may we give love to those around us. And it doesn't have to be extravagant love. It doesn't have to be a huge celebration or anything out of the ordinary. Because even in the ordinary can become extraordinary through love. Let's pray. Gracious God, on this night, many, many, many years ago, you gave us a wonderful gift. The gift of your son Jesus, wrapped in cloths. As we celebrate his birth and wonder together what that first Christmas was like, may our hearts be filled with adoration. May we hold the Christ child in love in our hearts. And may you remind us that we too are surrounded by your love, that your very presence came to us. We thank you, our Emmanuel, and we praise you. Amen. Our third scripture this evening comes from Paul's letter to a group of churches in what is now Turkey. It's a place that he had visited. It's a place full of people who he knew well, the leaders of the churches there. He knew he had preached there. He had shared the good news about Jesus Christ. It was a community he knew fairly well, even if he hadn't seen them in a while. We could kind of think of the Galatians to Paul like some of the folks that are on our, our mailing list, on our, our Christmas card mailing list. The churches in Galatia, they were, they were growing. They were growing. They were, they were figuring out how to be the church in a, in, a, in a changing world and how to navigate all the nuances that came with following Jesus in that culture. And somehow, a, along the way, as they were following Jesus, they got sidetracked. They lost sight of what was most important. So Paul, Paul took some time to remind them of what we are being reminded of tonight. Our first scripture today uh, out of the Hebrew scriptures reminded us of what it would have been like to look forward to that wonderful counselor, that mighty God, the everlasting father, that, that prince of peace, to live in expectation of the Messiah. And then our, our second text told the story of it. 
Paul, as he tries to tell the story, he paints with, with broad strokes. With broad sto- spro- strokes. He, he talks about how Jesus fits within the history of their people. And what the role of the law was prior to Jesus' birth. Again, he's, he's kind of trying to tell the whole story. At the beginning of Galatians 4, he uses the image of a, a boy born in a, in a, a wealthy home. A legal heir to a massive estate. One that he can't have access to. It's his right. It's his right to it, but he can't have access to it because he's still a minor. Because he is a boy. He's trapped. Beholden to the guardians and trustees who who controlled every move. Then something changes as Paul writes this in Galatians 4, starting at verse 4. But when the set time had come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of the son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, no longer a servant, but God's child. And since you are God's child... God has also made you an heir. Again, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I don't know about y'all, but the week leading up to Christmas is kind of polar opposites in our family. There's moments of incredible excitement and moments of incredible stress. Anybody kind of feel both those poles? Things that are just, ah, this is awesome. This is fun. And then, ah, it's not going to get done. It's not going to get done. Excitement builds with the final countdown of our Advent calendars. Just this morning, my kids were, were working through their Lego Advent calendars, and they realized they, they each had missed four days. Um, and the excitement built as they sat there and built all of their Legos together. Excitement builds with baking cookies, with going out to see lights with fitting in that one last Christmas movie because it's kind of weird when you're starting still watching Christmas movies in February. <laughs> then, it's just, is that not weird, Faith? You're still watching Christmas movies in February? Okay. <laughs> then, then the stress side of things. And maybe it's just, just as a mom and dad, but as, as Christmas cards return with the wrong addresses, will they get back out on time? As plans with extended family shift and they say, hey, we're coming to your house two days before they arrive. And as the kids change their mind yet again about their present. We've been in Advent for four weeks and really have had the entire time to prepare for tonight. And yet somehow, the week leading up to this night always feels like a bit of crunch time. I've been, been doing this whole pastor thing for a while, been preaching on Christmas Eve for a while, and yet somehow... I know to JR it's not a shock. Somehow I'm still working on my sermon Christmas Eve morning. Somehow it just all comes together. And then before we know it, Epiphany is here. Christmas is over. So Paul writes, when the set time had fully come, or as other translators put it, in the fullness of time, God sent His Son, born of, a, born of a woman, 
to redeem those living under the law. In the fullness of time, the person Isaiah mentioned, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, in the fullness of time, that person came to usher in a new kingdom. In the fullness of time, the day Caesar Augustus issued a decree for a census throughout the Roman world and Mary and Joseph went. In the fullness of time, Jesus was born. In the fullness of time, this metaphorical child that that Paul mentions in the first part of Galatians 4, the one with an inheritance that's right beyond the grasp of his fingertips, is finally able to hold what is hers. She's finally set free. The fullness of time. I might not ever feel completely ready to celebrate Christmas, but when Paul writes that Jesus came at just the right time, he's pointing to the the grand narrative of the human existence and saying, this wasn't an accident. This timing is intentional. It wasn't just Paul's ancestors that were in need of a Savior. The world was yearning for one. It wasn't just Paul or his ancestors. It was the entire world. Old religions and philosophies were were dying. Strange new ways of living were popping up and causing all kinds of spiritual hunger. So people during Paul's day or in Jesus' day, they they were looking. They were looking for answers. From a practical standpoint, the Roman Empire built roads that connected cities. Latin and Greek were known throughout the land and the laws, both the secular and the religious, meant that it was generally a time of peace. What we might refer to today as a coincidence, Paul refers to as something that happened in the fullness of time. Today, tonight, we look back at that event and if you've been around WPC during Advent, we've, we've also talked about how this is the season where we are looking forward to Christ's return. While reflecting on the Christmas moment and what it means for us today, an author and, and Presbyterian pastor who passed away earlier this, this year named Frederick Beekner wrote this. Once we have seen Jesus in a stable, we can never be sure where he will appear or to what lengths he will go, or to what ludicrous depths of self-humiliation he will descend in his pursuit, in his wild pursuit of humankind. Once we have seen Jesus in the stable in a manger, we can never be sure where he will appear, or what lengths he will go to, or what ludicrous depths of human self-humiliation he will descend in his wild pursuit of you, and of me. Jesus was born at just the right time. Of a woman under the law in order to redeem the world. In a wild pursuit of us. To remind us just how much we are loved.
After talking about the timing of Jesus' birth, Paul, uh, as he continues in his letter to the church in Galatia, he, he uses this inheritance language, saying that we have been adopted as sons and daughters, invited by the Spirit to call out Abba, Father, to our Creator. Friends, the the good news of Christmas, the entire reason we're here, the entire reason we are celebrating is that we've been set free, that we've been welcomed by the child as a child, an heir of the one true King. So as we continue to celebrate, I want to remind you or I'd like to invite you to remember that Jesus entered at just the right time. It wasn't an accident. It wasn't just a coincidence. He came to redeem us, to set us free, to reveal just how much the High King loves us. Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, with all that comes with the celebration of the season, of this evening, both the traditions we enjoy and the things that cause us stress. Help us to not lose sight of the great lengths you went to in order to remind us that we are loved. To remind us that we get to cry out to you, Abba, Father. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. Alrighty, so I can remember a few, a few of my favorite Christmas mornings, a few that stick out. There was the, the ones, the one Christmas morning, I was seven or eight, and, uh, Santa brought me a G.I. Joe action figure helicopter that I never, and, and, and it, it, I still had it until I was, like, I think my parents might still have it, um, um, but had it for a long time. Then there was a time I got my first boogie board. It was another memorable Christmas morning, and, then as I got older, it wasn't just about the presence, believe it or not, that was some, some great memories. Um, the magic was still there, but there was, it was a little bit different. There was the, the Christmas morning that, that Haley and I were with, our, with her side of the family, and we passed through the Arctic Circle um, on Christmas morning on a, on a cruise in the Baltic Sea, which was, was kind of a special morning. Uh, or when we lived in Malawi far away from our families, far away from the traditions that we were, were used to. And there was something nice about having a, a different type of, of, of Christmas. But the memory from Christmas morning that sticks out most to me came from about eight or nine years ago. I came downstairs, we were living in, in Orange County, uh, and I found Ella, who was up here singing earlier, um, just kind of staring at the Christmas tree just staring at the lights of, of the Christmas tree. And uh, it, it, was, it was dark out. She was maybe two at the time. Uh, and there were the only lights on in the whole house. And there was something about the magic of, of that moment where she was just caught up in the, the wonder of Christmas. Our second scripture this morning echoes the one that Pastor Dale read earlier out of Genesis. And they both speak about being caught up and the magic of, of light, the magic of, of light. Hear these words from the Gospel of John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. 
In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So we ended our services last night. Uh, for those of you who are here, we ended the, the, the early service, the 430 service, with, with what? What did we end with? Silent night. Silent night. And what were you holding? Glow. Oh, you still got some glow sticks. You might find some left over in the pews somewhere. Um, so, some glow sticks. We, 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 we ended the first service with glow sticks singing Silent Night. We ended the later service by candlelight out in the courtyard singing Silent Night. It is by far one of my favorite memories of Christmas, or my favorite Christmas traditions. By far one of uh, those things that kind of captures the heart of Christmas for me every year. Now we know a, a bit about the history of the Advent wreath that is behind me, the candles that are on it, um, though the order and the meaning of the candles varies from tradition to tradition. But the wreath was kind of normalized in the 19th century after a German pastor wanted to create a way for his students at a missionary school to count down the days till Christmas. It's a little bit different than the Advent calendars we use today that count down the days toward Christmas. And uh, every time they got to a, a Sunday, they would use a white candle, a bigger white candle. Um, Silent Night Silent Night was a, a first a poem written by a guy named Joseph Moore. Uh, in 1816, and was later turned into a Christmas hymn. The the legend goes that uh, it was sung in 1818 at a Christmas mass because the organ didn't work, um, and so he got out a guitar and sang Silent Night to a guitar. It is a legend, so I don't I don't I don't know that that actually happened. Um, well, I do know that they played it by guitar, but I don't know that it was because the organ wasn't working. Maybe. Maybe the, the organist had played a whole bunch of services in a row and the organist just needed a, a, a service away. We, we, don't, we don't really know. Um, but I couldn't find where the two traditions collided, where the singing of Silent Night collided with the, the passing of the light of Christ to one another and singing together. But it's been something that's been meaningful for, in churches for, for a long, long time. There's something about, whether it's with glow sticks or with a candle, passing the light of Christ with one another, taking the magic of Christmas after Christmas Eve home with us to this morning when we get to celebrate Christmas in our homes. The contrast between light and darkness is, is among the most commonly used images in Scripture. In Genesis, as we read earlier, we see the Creator God high above the cosmos kind of pulling light out of nothingless, this, this master painter creating on a canvas. And then in John, we see something similar, but it's a little bit different. The Christmas story is intertwined into that master painter where, where light is showing up in dark places. As an aside, my, my favorite, um, description of the entire Christmas story comes from the Gospel of John, where, where we read that the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And my favorite translation of it, the entire Christmas story, is what Eugene Peterson, how he translated it, where he says, the Word of God became flesh and blood and moved into our neighborhood, moved into our experience. The first few verbs John uses in his gospel, they're all past tense. 
In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. Through Him all things were made. In Him was life. It's all looking at that creation narrative. Looking back at the story. To the gift of light from the beginning. But then when we get to verse 5, there's a shift. There's a a shift. The light shines in the darkness. It's present tense. The light shines in the darkness and continues to shine in the darkness. And the darkness shall not overcome it. And it's important to remember the difference between in and on. The, The light shines in it. It shows up in our midst. The shift to this Present tense verb here. It might not seem important, but it is. It's why we continue to celebrate Christmas today. And when we pass the light of Christ on Christmas Eve, whether it's with candles or with glow sticks, we're reminding ourselves of that reality that the light shines in darkness now, today. So when we gather for church on Sunday, whether it's Christmas morning or any other morning, we're reminded that that light is a gift to us all. And it's one that we carry with us, not just on Sunday, but throughout the rest of the week. In the eighth chapter of John, we're told about a time when a few religious people, they they corner Jesus and they they question his identity. He had just uh, dispersed a crowd after they they brought a woman to him who was caught up in sin. And I'm I'm sure that he he made them feel angry when he said, hey, if if any of you are without sin, you cast the first stone. I'm, I'm, I'm sure that he made them angry as they all walked away. Most walked away, but, but some kind of probably walked a little bit away and then thought, huh, wait, hold up a second. Who is this guy? Who is this guy? People in the crowds, they, they question him. And in verse 12, he responds to them as they question his identity. And he says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Again, this is where the language of Scripture is important. He doesn't just say that he's a light in the world. He says specifically, the light of the world. When Jesus made this claim, the whole reason that they were gathered was there was a a festival taking place. And among that festival was this Jewish tradition of lighting lamps and watching as they spread throughout the city. Maybe this is where the tradition of Silent Night comes from. Maybe. I'm not sure. As the lamps were lit, as the light spread, people sang songs of salvation. They remembered the exodus and what happened with their ancestors. In making this claim, Jesus was connecting that history with what was happening then and there. And really to the future, to what we're doing today. The God who delivered his people centuries ago showing up again and again to make things new was born in a manger. It's the whole reason he came. The entire reason we're celebrating, we've been given this gift of life. We're not going to sing Silent Night this morning, mostly because it's morning, and it'd be weird to sing about a night in the, in the morning. Maybe, maybe not. But also, if we tried to light the glow sticks, they would just look like sticks of plastic, and if we passed the candles, I guess we could have passed candles, but we're not going to do that. But we do need to remember That as we celebrate today, tomorrow as we continue throughout the week and the weeks that follow, we don't journey alone in darkness. 
we've been given the gift of light. And that's the gift that we celebrate on Christmas. So in a few moments, I'm going to invite us to stand. And then we're going we're to sing joy to the world together. But first, let's pray. Emmanuel, God with us. Thank you for the gift of light and for the reminders that we are given this season. Lights on houses, lights on trees, lights on candles, lights here at church and lights in our homes. May we be a people who carry your light with us wherever we go. Amen.